So hey everybody, welcome back to our Pink Couch series here at Adore. Today we are going to shift gears a little bit and talk about how infertility is not in fact all female. Greater than 30% of our patients worked up here have had some kind of male factor component to their fertility issue. And today we're going to explore what we would do in that situation. Yep, here today to discuss male factor issues, workups, what to expect if we have to send you to him is Charleston's very own best urologist voted from the Low Country Urology Clinic, Dr. David Branley. He has been board certified in urology since 2005, in fact, so he's been around the block a little bit. And while he partakes in all components of urologic care, he is our main go-to man when we have male fertility issues. He not only helps us with treatment options and workups when we need some help, but he also provides surgical options to help us find that sperm. And we all know we need sperm. So welcome Dr. Brantley to our Pink Couch series. We're so glad you could make it. Thank you, I'm really happy to be here. As we talked about in our prior podcast, part of our original workup for couples is a male semen analysis, which we perform at Adore. But there's lots of questions that surround this. What happens if it's abnormal and how do we proceed? So generally speaking, if we have borderline sperm levels or concentrations, we usually recommend a repeat analysis up front. However, what is too low for us and when should we actually be sending a male to you based on just certain semen parameters? Yeah, so in general, when we have somebody, a couple that has a fertility problem, we really start by defining that as unprotected purposeful intercourse without a pregnancy for at least a year. So if people have abnormal semen parameters and they come to us with a, a history that's less than a year, then it's just very much by patient's history a little bit. Sometimes it has to do with you know how old is the couple, how goal-oriented are they in terms of if I want to get pregnant right now, are we just kind of exploring this? Because if I can and things aren't too abnormal and it hasn't been a year, I will try to put those people off because technically if it's been a whole year and the parameters aren't normal, we probably need to explore it. And if, if it hasn't been a year, sometimes we'll try to put those people off and make sure they meet that basic criteria first. Do you consider concentration and motility some of the more prominent parameters? Yeah, I'm always looking first at volume. Sure. Because in terms of the the source of the problem, you know, it goes down a few different paths and left and right, and it can be this issue or this issue. But volume, if it's normal, removes a whole category of things that we would chase down. So I actually that look at sense. volume of the ejaculate first. Uh, WHO criteria said that a milliliter and a half or greater is normal. A milliliter and a half up to five, and a larger number than five probably is never relevant. But less than a milliliter and a half, you start to wonder about some central point of obstruction, nothing to do with the testicles, but sometimes where the vas deferens from the testicles come into the back of the prostate where the ejaculatory ducts are, there are processes that can block both of the ejaculatory ducts blocking the sperm from both testicles at the same time. And if that is a possible explanation, then that's easy to evaluate in the office with an ultrasound that we do inside the prostate to see it and it's actually a fairly easy thing to fix so I definitely look at that number first but then we're making decisions about concentration motility what is the in the ejaculate what's the total number of sperm that's produced when you multiply those things together we call it the total modal count in the whole ejaculate specimen how many motile sperm are there right. and I look at all those to try to figure out kind of where we stand yeah that makes sense and the volume makes sense too 
And as much as we don't think about it on the fertility side of things, but it's definitely an easy rollout. Yeah. Generally speaking, if we can get those total modal sperm counts, you know, greater than 20 million total modal or greater than 10 million total modal consistently, then we can just do IUIs and we don't typically worry about sending a male on for further evaluation. But if we do get consistent numbers and like, like Dr. Branley said, you know, volume and concentration and motility all play a role in this. If those numbers stay lower than 10 million total modal and certainly less than five, that's when we really look at getting them over to have a full male exam and kind of just a urologic evaluation to kind of rule out anything yeah. in particular. It's surprising how many guys I see who will have been down a long convoluted infertility pathway, even with some blood work done, even with a couple of semen analysis and this trial and maybe even IUI and have never seen a doctor who's examined, examined them, them like yeah. who's actually ever, because sometimes we'll find some things that are fairly unexpected. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, since we stick to the female parts over here, we're lucky that he's just across the way so we can let the males go get their exams. Yeah, and I think the guys, when they are motivated to participate, to contribute to the pregnancy, they're glad to be in my office. And I think they really can relax and say, this is something I'm really frustrated about. And I think they can be, you know, sort of themselves. And, they, you know, I don't, I don't get a lot of guys who seem real nervous. You know, I think we put them at ease and just do what we got to do. We're all on the same team with the same goals, trying to get to the same outcomes. And I think guys respond to that. Yeah, I agree. And we thank you for getting them in so easily. I want to kind of change gears just a little bit so that for our males out there that are part of our couples that listen to this, you know, if we do have to send them over to you all to be evaluated, what are some things they expect? Generally speaking, we try to get lab work ahead of time for you to help you out a little so that, yeah. you know, you have a, at least a little bit better picture based on the semen analysis parameters, a basic history, and then their labs. And of course, we leave the exam to you. But what can they expect? expect kind of on an initial visit with you? So usually I'll take, you know, sort of a focused history. So I'll ask about um, prior surgeries or vasectomy or hernia repairs. I'll ask about, you know, any problems with fertility in the family history. I'll ask them about a history of infections like urinary tract infections or viral infections of the testicle. I'll ask them about even job related things. Have they been exposed to a lot of heat in their jobs? Have they been exposed to certain chemicals? radiation on a regular basis, and even some personal habits. Are there drug or alcohol use? Not necessarily problems, but some medications and some drugs can definitely interfere with fertility. I'll ask them about, are they in situations where they create a lot of heat for themselves, like saunas? You know, we have people who regularly use hot tubs and saunas, and guys will even sort of delve into like, well, I do a lot of cycling. Should I be wearing boxers? Like, there'll be all these things that they talk about. Yeah, you're getting me before I get to ask you all the quick questions. Yeah, we'll talk, we'll, but there's good stuff in there, yeah. so we'll talk about that stuff. So I'll try to dig into that. I'll always make sure I ask about their actual sexual performance. So that's not a reproductive question, but are they able to have normal erections? Do they have what they consider to be a normal amount of fluid that comes out of them? Some of the time, the partner has been with more than one male. And sometimes I'll say to them, does a normal amount of fluid come out of him? Because she'll know. Right. And right. sometimes she'll say, yeah, I've noticed it's just a little bit each time. And, you know, because we can learn a lot about that. Even things like with a men's health sort of slant, have you ever been on testosterone? 
holy oh, yeah. moly, it comes up over and over again with these low counts and they'll say, oh yeah, I take testosterone injections. I mean, it, it happens every three months. I'll yeah, have somebody we see who, it. We who, see is, it a lot too. who is on testosterone right now and I'll say, you're a young guy. The family doctor doesn't always counsel them about what that's gonna do to fertility and by the way, if your body senses that testosterone is being added to the system, then your brain is going to tell your testicles to take a nap. And sperm <laughs> production and also native testosterone production stops completely. It is, it is birth control to the yeah. point where I have patients, there's not a lot, but I have a few guys who've come to me and said, I want to have a vasectomy. And I say, but I have you on testosterone replacement. I said, you don't make any sperm now. And he says, is that a reasonable way to, for me to manage my fertility? As long as you stay on testosterone, I'll have those guys bring a semen specimen to prove it. But the guys who are therapeutic on injectable or replacement testosterone, right. they do not produce any sperm. And I have guys who that is their mode of birth control. It is not considered to be mainstream, reliable birth control. Sure, of course. But it, but it is. It really yeah. does take care of that That's problem. how we say, you know, the, the progesterone-only pill is not the best birth control. But if you're taking it at the same time all the time, you're not missing doses, it's pretty darn reliable. Yeah. And you're right, we that's a question we're going to bring up because we see a lot of men come in, they go in to see their doctors for just either fatigue or, you know, libido issues, um, multiple different things. And yet they forget to say, but hey, I'm also trying to have a baby or um, I might be wanting to have a child in the next, you know, yep. six months, year. And so we get them on testosterone all the time. And unfortunately, men think testosterone means you know, more sperm, more energy. But you're right, there's a lot of generalists that I think, you know, we deal with endocrine systems because of what we do and the organs that we treat, but not everyone thinks yeah. through that pathway. I will also dig into their histories and find out if they have any history of, like even in high school sports, doing bodybuilding, because there's a lot of data out there to suggest that long periods of testosterone replacement therapy in formative times of the testicles development, like high school, yeah, yep. can have a long-standing effect on sperm production, different from the 40-year-old or 50-year-old guy who goes on testosterone for six months and then decides you know, that's that that's, that's, that, yeah. that's almost always reversible. Yeah, that's and again, that's very similar as far as just even looking at the males to the female, our anorexics or our bulimics or our young girls. But um, it is hard when the young kids get involved because they get so, you know, competitive and then you don't realize what it's actually doing to your long term health sometimes. Right. But I'm glad you brought up that issue because testosterone um, use and then long-term testosterone use is, you know, something we see a lot. So I'm glad we touched on that because I'm curious that are there any studies that suggest like long-term use, how long it takes for spermatogenesis to really come back? And yeah, as you yeah. say three months, six months, so, where are you? So it depends on a few factors. Generally, when you have someone who's been on testosterone replacement, maybe one to three years, then sperm production comes back in about 80% of guys within six months. Got it. I usually will not let anybody have any other sort of formal procedures or extraction or anything like that if they've only been off three. I usually Makes make sense. them wait six because the data is more like 50, 60% at three months and then like it's 80% at six months. But there are plenty of guys whose sperm production doesn't come back until a year or even 18 months out. Wow. So we do see a few latent folks that uh, it takes a while for that factory to come back online. Got it. Kind of going into that a little bit more for those patients, are there any medications that help recover? Yeah. Or is so, it just time? Yeah. So 
There are a couple of medicines that we prescribe to help in a general way to stimulate the testicles to do what the testicles do. Sperm production and testosterone. That's mm -hmm. all the testicle does. So if we give Clomid, which is given for women in fertility settings too for similar but different reasons, if we give Clomid, it will usually boost the testosterone counts somewhat and it'll boost sperm production probably by percentage-wise a little bit less, mm -hmm. but there's no good data that says that putting people on Clomid or putting people on HCG, sure. which is an injectable that does kind of the same thing by a different mechanism, gets guys back to their sperm production quicker, and that's been studied. HCG is an injection that's usually given like two or three times a week. It somehow over the last year became very expensive. Popular and expensive. It's super expensive yeah. and not typically covered by private insurance. So I don't prescribe it very often because people come back to me and say, I can't afford $2,000 a month or something. And there's no good data to say that HCG injections works better than a daily Clomid pill. But for getting those guys back to normal sperm production, the data is not very convincing that it that it accelerates that, that process. That makes sense then. Good. That's where I wanted to kind of you know evaluate. Is it something that, hey, guys out there that have been on this for a while, they don't need to be rushing to your door to say, now I need something different to take to try to reverse right. it. But, but at the same time, many of those guys, I will put them on Clomid because they're gonna go off testosterone and the testosterone mm -hmm. is going to be, a, it'll be a that trough, drop. right, before the factory comes back online. And it probably creates a better, a more beneficial effect for testosterone recovery than it does for sperm recovery. So Got a lot it. of those guys will go on it. Because also they're gonna be trying for a pregnancy and they're gonna need to be on some, whatever we can do to boost testosterone. And Clomid probably does that a little better than it does sperm production. And that makes sense. So you're saying if, if they have that drop of testosterone without bridging that gap, obviously that can affect mood, right? And emotion and energy and it's- Libido. Right, everything. Yeah. That that you know guys tend to worry about when they have low testosterone so you're trying to just bridge that gap so that transition's not so hard for them right yeah there are still guys though that i've had on clomid and they've gone through the fertility process they have their pregnancy or they have the family that they want and then they're like i was happier on testosterone injections and they're ready to come off clomid but I have guys whose testosterone's on Clomid is six, seven, eight hundred, and they're like, I like taking a pill, and they stay and they stay on it. So just depends on the guy. When they're on those medications, is there anything that you have to follow as far as blood work wise? Really? No. If I have somebody who has been on testosterone replacement and then they come off it, and we want to see when that's going to recover, I'll usually get a testosterone level and a semen analysis like at three months and six months and see kind of where they're at. Where they at. stand. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, just to follow that. But there's no there's no other really toxic effects. Clomid is actually very safe and effective for and cheap for, for men. Yeah, awesome. I'm gonna take you back for a second, um, just about, you know, when they come to see you. I know we talked a lot about like just different things, red flags or things that you ask that can help kind of give us an idea of what's going on for them or what picture they might give us as far as like an etiology or a cause. We talked about they get an exam on their first visit as well, generally yep. speaking. And, and I'm generally looking for their sexual development, which usually isn't a problem, or if it is, their problem is probably bigger than just fertility. Sure. There are certain conditions that cause like genetic conditions that re reliably cause fertility, 
For example, people can be missing a chromosome or can have an extra chromosome in the sex chromosome pair. And there are those patients have a certain, we call it a body habitus. They'll actually have certain characteristics that regardless of their actual ethnic background that are pretty consistent, like there's one called Kleinfelter syndrome that is, you know, they have a certain look to them actually. And I've, I've diagnosed a bunch of them. Just walking in the door. Walking in the door I've, and he's in, infertile and I look at his sort of shape and size and I say, you need a karyotype mm -hmm. because that'll show us that extra chromosome. And those guys, there are instances where Kleinfelter's patients can have fertility. So it's not like I see that and say, you have to right, leave sure. now because we can't help you. You know, it's not like we can we can help almost everybody. So yeah. so we're just always trying to recognize all the things we need to recognize and make sure we prescribe the best treatment plan that's methodical and, and goal oriented.